Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, We're going to be in this series for six weeks, uh, covering the big ideas of John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the book itself does a masterful job, in my opinion, of drawing out the desires that Jesus has for us uh, and how Jesus desires for us to have an abundant life are in direct conflict with the way we have been trained to live in our busy and hectic and hurried world. Uh, Now, I'm not going to be tracking through the book specifically page for page or anything like that. Rather, it's going to undergird my teaching from the scriptures. Uh, And of course, as I just said, we'd love for you to join one of those small groups so that you can dig in deeper there as well. Uh, My hope for you over the next several weeks is that you be challenged and truly transformed. Perhaps so transformed, in fact, that uh, maybe you would drive the speed limit in Atlanta. Or, or stop equating excessive vacationing with rest for your souls. When John Mark wrote this book, he replied flatly, I, I realized I had to get our people unhurried enough to actually disciple them in the way of Jesus. And as I read this book for the first time and examined my own life and and examine the lives of the people who are part of this church who I love so very much. And, and examine the lives of Atlantans in general. I realized that I was very much in the same place. Hear me. We have what Comer calls hurry sickness. And it is robbing us of abundant life. It is robbing us of abundant life. Now, what is hurry sickness? Cardiologists uh, Meyer Friedman and R.H. Rosenman coined the term in their 1985 book, uh, Type A Behavior and Your Heart. Um, Now, it's not an actual medical condition, but it is at the root of many medical conditions. And and here's what they asked in the book. Do you constantly feel rushed or anxious? Do you live with a feeling of urgency to get things done even when there's no need? See, when you're chronically in a hurry, it can mentally and physically affect you. And Friedman and Rosenman found that hurry sickness may even lead to heart-related, stress-related Issues And so as I studied this, what I also realized is that before we start ruthlessly addressing hurry and hurry sickness, we must first address a core question that, that every person on the planet must answer for themselves. And that question is, to whom do I belong? In fact, ask yourself that question now in this quiet moment. To whom do I belong? To whom do I belong? belong? And the answer to that question is the ultimate solution for our hurry sickness. Uh, And exploring that core question is how we're going to launch off this six weeks. So if you want to follow along with me, uh, of course, we've always got a QR code for something. Please scan that QR code. 
that finally appeared. Um, and you'll be able to follow along in the Bible app event with me. Uh, I'll give you a few seconds to get that. And then we'll jump over. I'm going to be in Romans chapter 1. If any of you have an old school Bible, God bless you. You're special and dear to me. I'm going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And here's what the word says. Uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. See, the moment we just had, relevant. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, the word of the Lord. And if you would say with me, thanks be to God. Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus that you would move in power through your word as you have through our worship and that we would continue to worship you through this moment in our gathering in Jesus' name. Amen. John Ortberg, uh, in the beginning of uh, Comer's book, writes this, the smartest and best man I've known jotted down some thoughts about hurry. I think they were posted in his kitchen when he died. Hurry involves excessive haste or a state of urgency. It is associated with words such as hurl, hurdle, hurly-burly. That was new for me. And hurricane. Hurry is a state of frantic effort one falls into in response to inadequacy, fear, or guilt. We should take it as our aim to live our lives entirely without hurry. We should form a clear intention to live without hurry one day at a time, trying today. In the spirit of his words, likely repeated from the late Dallas Willard, uh, we should slow for a moment and, and allow those words to wash over us. Excessive. Haste. Urgency. Hurricane. Frantic. Fear. Guilt. Each of these words sound out like a bell tolling to remind us that the choices we have made and make lead to an unsustainable, unsuitable, and stingy life. A life that is the very opposite of the, abund of the abundance that Jesus promises to those who follow him. Now, in the spirit of vulnerability, and to quote Brene Brown, vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. And so I want to stand vulnerable before you in hopes of change for us all, and I invite you into that same vulnerability. You see, at varying times in my life, for many reasons, any or all of those words describe my reality. And even though I thought I was living, I was actually the walking dead. And as I've taken the time these last five years to do a, a, a kind of deep dive into myself. In fact, I'm going to tell you guys in your late 30s, mid to late 30s, start now trying to figure out what makes you tick and why. Because you can either go into your 40s victoriously or you can stumble in terrified that you've lost half your life already. So I started a deep dive because I wanted to go into my, I mean, listen, there's science behind this. Companies blow up when people turn 40. Churches blow up around people turning 40. Marriages blow up around people turning 40. There's something around it. And most of it is a lack of intentionality of self-examination. 
That's not even a part of what I'm talking about today, but it's a freebie. As I examine my own life over these last five years, I went through all of the normal reasons that people give as an excuse to why they live this way. You know them. I need more time. If I just had more time, well, no, time is not the issue. For me, it was if I just had more discipline. And, and, and discipline is a good thing, but discipline is not the issue. Or if I had more vacation time and more money to get away, then no. No, you don't need to afford more rest. You just need to rest. And as I prayed through how to architect this series, I truly believe that the Spirit of God gave me the root and core issue that undergirds all of it. All of it. And the choices that we continue to make to maintain this frenetic Western pace as we chase the American dream. And here it is. We honor this age with our lives and our choices. We honor this. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? That we honor this. To honor something means to esteem it. So we esteem this age with our lives and our choices. And, and don't recoil when I say that. Hear me out. The, the, the homes that most Americans purchase are too much for them to afford and often too much for them to even live in, and yet we do it. The cars that many Americans drive are more about stunting than function. It is the way that we have been trained, how we work, how we vacation if we are financially able to do so, how we use and spend money, our overall lack of cultural generosity. Each speaks to the reality of what we honor or esteem, and it is the culture of this age. In fact, we could put it this way. We are more assimilated into Americana than we are to Jesus and his church, and it's killing us. It's killing us. Our assimilation into and honoring the spirit of the age is the core cause and source of our collective exhaustion. And so what do we do? First, we acknowledge the core issue, which I hope you will do today. Then we implement change. And Paul, speaking prophetically to an issue he likely never actually encountered in his time, tells us in his letter to Rome that the, the treatment, the solution, the, the, the answer is that every part of us should honor God. And that will inevitably take care of the rest. If and when we are able to eliminate the honor we offer this age and direct it to the God for whom we are made, then hurry sickness and every other anxious plight under which we are currently or perpetually bent will cease. And it will be eliminated as well. So let's get into it. Paul begins this part of his letter. We read it already together. Therefore, brothers and sisters... I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Now, there is a great deal there in just a few words, but let's start with the therefore. Whenever Paul uses a therefore, he has a therefore, and there's a reason that it's therefore. Okay, and that's usually because it is tying what he is saying to something that preceded it. And what precedes this particular therefore is a song or a hymn of praise that we already did for our call to worship today. Paul, in the middle of writing this letter to the Romans, and in, in between all of this instruction, I guess he just got overwhelmed. And he was like, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. 
He had to shout for a minute. How unsearchable are your ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Now, in light of that reality about who God is, Paul then says, so. Based on this being true about who God is, and more importantly about who God is to you, I urge you to present yourself as a living sacrifice to our God because all things are from him and to him and through him and belong to him. Everything is his. And because everything is his, including you, then I urge you, if you are a follower of the way of Jesus, present your life to him as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? That means that you and I, if we are followers of Jesus' way, dedicate our entire person to the living for God's honor and God's glory. It means that we dedicate our entire person to living for God's honor and God's glory. Every aspect of our lives dedicated to him. Every aspect of our speech dedicated to him. The choices that we make dedicated to him. The pace that we choose dedicated to him. The way that we worship dedicated to him. The way that we work dedicated to him. How we parent dedicated to him. How we engage in community dedicated to him. How we manage the resources that he's entrusted to us dedicated to him, our sexual ethic, dedicated to him, our political perspective, dedicated to him, our view of injustice and inequity and every other social ill and plague that harries this society, dedicated to him. That's what it means. That every part of who I am is oriented toward him and his glory. And I won't live for anything less than that. That is what Paul is saying here. In other words, how we show up in the world in every way is meant to honor God. Our spiritual worship is how we show up in the world. That's what it means, guys. Our spiritual worship is how we show up in the world. And it's not limited to how we show up in church spaces. It's how we show up out there. Does that mean corporate worship gatherings don't matter? Absolutely not. There's a transcendent thing that happens here in this room that you cannot experience anywhere else. Period. God ordered it that way. Go and read Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. He ordered it that way. So yes, the corporate gathering matters. But at the end of the day, what it is supposed to do when we gather in the name of Jesus, under the banner of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, with the people of Jesus, what it is supposed to do is then send us out into the world as representatives of Jesus in a daily life of worship. Followers of the way of Jesus should be different from our host culture, family. Hear me. Should be different from our host culture. To be holy, as Paul writes in verse 1, means to be set apart. It means to be distinct. It means to be different. It means to not be melded into the thing that is around you because you are enveloped in the righteousness of the living God. To be pleasing and acceptable to God means that our lives look as he would have them to look and nothing less. Listen, when we come to follow Jesus, it is a whole life, not partial life transformation. 
Guys, I'm telling you, we don't need to play the game. You, what, 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 what do you mean? I mean that I did it. It's what I mean. It's, it's, it's wild to me. My kids do stuff, and they think they invented it. And I'm like, your version of bat, you're a church kid. You don't know what it really means to be in these streets. I lived it. And that's the same way I feel when I show up here. I see you. I do, and the Lord sees you. And I love you, and the Lord loves you. And trying to straddle two worldviews is not going to produce life for you. And that's what Paul is calling us out on. Yes, I want to see revival. It's going to start with hunger and holiness. Not these little secret places we keep that we're more comfortable with being bound by than we are being free from them. Whole life. And our response to this, or, or rather, it is our response to the mercies of God to have this whole life transformation. Because he's already been merciful. He's already been good. He went first. And everything we do is in response, not to earn it, but to reflect it. In light of these things, Paul writes, what? Do not be conformed to the world around you. Now, by conformed, write this down, what Paul means is do not pattern your life after the way of our host culture. That's what conform means. Does your life pattern look biblical or American. That is what Paul is asking. Does the rhythm you live, or for them, does it look biblical or Roman? Does it look biblical or Western? Does it look like Jesus? Or something else? Do not be conformed to this world. Do not pattern your life after the way of this culture. Do not let this world squeeze you into a mold. Do not be conformed to its ideals or its beliefs because, listen, often they conflict with the way of Jesus. And what you're feeling, that rub that you're feeling, is because the Spirit of God is inside of you. It is inside of you. And, 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 and when you try to silence him in order to fit into a mold that you don't belong in, that is the friction you're feeling. Because you belong to God. He ain't going to let you go. He ain't going to let you go. He got a strong grip on you. And so you can carry yourself into every dark corner of this world. It ain't going to never feel good. Because you are already filled with light. And it's going to create conflict between you and people. People that you love. Because they are conformed to the world. And they're conformed to the ethic of the host culture. And if you don't baptize their conformity, they're going to think that you are the one with the problem. 
Been there one million times. Been there one million times. It always comes out that way. And you don't have to be angry. And you don't have to be frustrated. And you don't, you don't, you don't, listen, you just got to be real. This is who I am. Because this is who Jesus calls us to be. Michael Zigarelli from Charleston Southern University School of Business conducted an obstacles to growth survey. Over the 20,000 Christians across the globe and identified busyness as a major distraction from spiritual life. You see, that is a part of this conflict. There are so many ways, so many areas where we are being challenged to conform to the host culture and not the way of Jesus, whether that is in consumerism or power politics or the success syndrome or sexuality or the pleasure principle or hurry or busyness. There's a way that the world does things and there's a way that Jesus invites us into. And he did a study to evaluate this across 20,000 Christians. And here's what he found. He said, it may be the case that, one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, two, God becoming more and more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to, three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to, five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and then the cycle begins again. That's the loop we're caught in, family. What he surfaces is that our hurry sickness is not as simple as needing more time or less work. It is directly tied to what we believe about God and what we believe about our, our host culture. It is directly tied to the core question of belonging. We, among other things, busy ourselves right out of relationship with God. And that is our host culture's ethic at work in us. And so here's a question for us to wrestle with briefly as we push through this. Does my life belong to God and conform to him or does it belong to the host culture and assimilate or conform to it? Just ask yourself that question. Now very briefly, and I just need to touch on this, when we read scriptures and see the phrase like the world in a negative sense as we do here in verse 2 where, where uh, Paul says do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, some tend to swing in the direction that the world is all evil. That is not true. Okay, Paul does not believe that the world is evil by default or that it is all going to hell in a handbasket. In fact, in Romans 8, he writes that the creation is waiting in eager expectation for the revealing of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. What he is saying is that the world was never meant to be this way. The world has been subjected to futility and it is waiting for God's people to be revealed as those that will release it from that subjectivity and futility. So the world is not inherently evil. It was made broken, and we are the means by which God is restoring it. So what he means is that a sinful and demonic forces and patterns and systems, they are in, at work in this world, and they are shaping many aspects of our existence. Injustice, poverty, sickness, apathy, racism, supremacy, sexual identity worship, violence, greed, and many other anti-flourishing beliefs and activity are constantly at work to shape this world. And in being an active part of this world, those things are constantly trying to do what? Say it. Shape me. 
And that is the reality in which we live. Now, remember what we said at the top of our time, and I'll very bumpily land this plane. The issue of hurry and everything else terminates in the core question of belonging. To whom do I belong? In fact, something for you to consider, if, if you neatly fit into every expectation and norm of our host culture, what has actually formed your life? It should be a jacket fit. It should be an uncomfortable fit. It shouldn't fit at all. And it is directly tied to the core question of belonging. To whom do I belong? The positive solution to the problem of host culture conformity and the means by which we continually and perpetually establish belonging to Jesus and his way, Paul says, is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, there's an inherently passive sense in which the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, who penetrates to the core of our being and reforms us into a new creation, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, takes over. In other words, when we trust Jesus and are united with him and intertwined with the Spirit, we undergo a metamorphosis. The Holy Spirit changes us. And enables us to offer ourselves completely to God. And this takes place in the mind, which is renewed. The Greek literally says here, over and over and over again. It is made new again and again by the Holy Spirit. It is a reprogramming of the mind. It is a lifelong process in which the mind is freed from being conformed to the host culture and more readily made to have what Paul writes in Philippians 2, the mind of Christ. That allows us to see clearly what is happening around us. In fact, it's startling how much there is in Scripture about the mind. And it is clear that the mind is where spiritual growth is initiated. And in the mind, decisions are made to determine one's spiritual direction and destiny. In other words, and perhaps simpler, the ongoing conduct of one who says that they follow the way of Jesus will be based on where they are receiving their inputs. Are you tracking with me? If you're receiving your inputs from our culture, then what is your mind going to reflect? It's a simple math. Insert normal Georgia Tech joke here. It's a simple math. And if you want to have the mind of Christ, where do you need to receive your inputs from? From the Lord. From the word. How do we renew our mind? We renew our mind by singing worship songs. We renew our mind by reading the word of God. We renew our mind through prayer. We renew our mind through spiritual practices like meditation and silence and Sabbath. We renew our mind through the rhythms of corporate worship and small group community so that it can provide a counter to the mind control of the host culture. We renew our mind through the basic means that God has given us to pursue him. And you're invited today to renew your attention, to renew your focus, to renew your will, to passionately pursue the Lord and return your motivations and your attention and your whole life to the way of Jesus. I cannot unhurry you or help you be unhurried if you don't understand that everything you are belongs to God. It has to start here. Now, 
if you are investigating a relationship with Jesus or maybe in a season of deconstruction or, 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 or maybe you've walked away and you're trying to decide if you want to come back or sort out all of this Jesus business, I understand the question that you're asking. How do I honor God when I don't even know if I trust him at all? That is understandable. So allow me to reason with you for just a moment. And it's a very simple question. Do you believe the patterns of our host culture are producing an abundant life? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you actually believe that? Do you believe that the political in and out fighting, the hustle culture that is causing millions of people to quiet quit, the quadrupling of anxiety over the last two to three years, the monotony of working to exhaustion, partially recharging on a vacation you can't afford, is actually leading to abundant life. Now, if you do, I respect your decision. I have to. But if you're questioning it at all, then let me offer you the alternative. Let me offer you the alternative. Jesus' mission statement is this. I've come to give them life and life abundantly. That was his mission statement. And he extends an invitation to any who will take it to be rescued from the rat race and rhythm of our host culture and to actually experience a life of abundance. It is also an invitation to a life that doesn't end, an eternal life that doesn't end. And so today I encourage you to move toward him as he's moving toward you. In fact, I want to invite us all just to pray for a moment, a prayer of, of renewal and resurrender. If today is the day, whether you're here in the room or whether you're joining us online, that you're going to follow the way of Jesus for the first time, I just want to pray with you very simply. You can follow me in these words. Jesus, I believe you. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you offer me abundant life. I believe you offer me eternal life, and I receive it. Forgive me for rejecting your love and your leading and help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, everything is different forever. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Text one word, I became a Christian. I became a Christian to 94000. I became a Christian to 94000. And one of our pastors will follow up with you. Now, what in light of all of this is our takeaway from our time today? It's very simple. Honor the Lord with your life. It's very simple. Honor the Lord with your life. Honor the Lord with your life. The word, the, the word life encapsulates every aspect of who you are from thought to speech to deed. Every single part should point to whom you belong. And until Jesus' people answer the question of their core belonging, until Jesus' people answer the question of their core belonging, dealing with and managing hustle, dealing with hurry, changing the world, all out of the question. We have to answer our question of belonging first. If we want to be attractive people to those who are far from God, if we want to become a church that our community cannot live without, it starts right here and every day after with an intentional effort by the power of the Holy Spirit to honor the Lord with every aspect of our lives. That is 
the answer. And so what do we do? I'm going to tell you what to do. Be ruthless about eliminating the ways of this world from your life. Be ruthless about it. Be ruthless about it. Be ruthless about it. Take care in what you watch. Take care in what you watch. Oh, it's just got a little bit. It's funny. Listen, it's changing you. It's changing you. Maybe I'm just getting old now. I'm not cool anymore. I got a double nose piercing to stay hip. Actually, it was something I just wanted to do all my life. And when I turned 40, I told my dad, I'm a man now. I'm getting my nose pierced. He still didn't approve. But be ruthless about eliminating the ways of the world from your life. Take care of what you watch. Listen, I don't want to put this on you. Your personal holiness is between you and the Lord. But let me tell you, the other night, Brianna and I, we were getting ready to watch something we've been watching for a long time. And it ain't nothing crazy. But it's dark. And it's heavy. And it's demonic. And we're like, you know what? I'm done with that. I'm not watching that. Let's have a little worship instead. And that's what's been gassing me up for the last two weeks. Because I've been choosing worship instead of entertainment over and over and over again. Take care of what you're listening to. Okay? And that Sam Smith did at the Grammys. Yeah, I'm going to call it out by name. And there's many others. You can't say you love people when you listen to music that calls women the B word and talks about killing other people who look like you. You wonder why you're dealing with lust, but every other song we listen to is about sex. This is just reality. How can our minds be renewed when it's being filled? I'm going to get fit this year, but I ain't changing my diet. Okay. Good luck with that. Same idea. Lord, I want to give it all to you. But I'm going to keep this opinion. I'm going to keep this show. And I'm going to keep this artist. And I'm going to keep this secret sin. But I'm going to give it all to you. That's not all. That, that's, that's part. Yeah. Be ruthless. Jesus said in the Gospels, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your left eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, obviously, he didn't mean literal self-mutilation. What he was saying is you go to extreme lengths. You got a porn problem, you don't need a smartphone. You need a dumb phone <laughs> and a composition notebook. <laughs> I promise you your life will be okay. People can still read stuff on paper. Listen, I'm trying to help you. Hear me. I'm trying to help you. You can't kill what you coddle. You want to coddle it, you ain't going to kill it. It's going to keep living. And eventually it's going to kill you. Trying to keep a wolf in a cage. And go in and feed it every now and then. No, eventually it's going to eat you. 
Because that's what wolves do. Be ruthless about establishing your core identity and eliminating, eliminating things that pull you away from the way of Jesus. If we get this, we'll get everything. We'll get everything. Now, we say we want to see the world awaken to the wonder of God in this transcultural church. Praise God. That's got to be out of an overflow of who we're becoming, not an object to accomplish. Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus because I've got to be done. Please make this real and transformative that we might be fully different people.